Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. This summer, when you're going to Nationals Park, make Walters your spot to hang out before the game. Located just across the street from the ballpark, walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the set of the pitch. Swing and a drive in the air to right center field toward the gap. No one was playing in there, and it's down into the fence. Both runners will score. Cruz from third, Bell around from second, trotting across the plate, and into second with a booming double to deep right center field is Yadiel Hernandez. And the Nationals having a big bottom of the first inning. It's Washington four and Colorado nothing. Here's the 1-0 pitch. Swing and a ground ball to short. Fielded by Strange Gordon to his knees to second Hernandez. The throw to Bell. It's a double play. And the side retired. And the pitch. He shows bunt. Bunts at first base side. It's fielded by Crone. He'll throw to the plate. Off the glove of the catcher to the backstop. And Strange Gordon puts his hand on the plate to score. Robles around first as the ball is retrieved. They throw it back there. And welcome to Nats Chat for Friday, May 27, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We have had all kinds of droughts for the Nats coming to ends over the last two nights now. So Wednesday, in that one nothing win over the Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park, Tanner Rainey notched his first save in more than a month, his first save since April 19th. And on Thursday night, In a 7-3 win over the Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park, we had Patrick Corbin with his first win of the season. We had Josh Bell with his first extra base hit since May 7th. And we had the Nats establishing a winning streak, which is defined as winning at least two consecutive games. For the first time in nearly a month, the Nats had not won back-to-back games since May 1st and 3rd. The game on May 3rd was a win in game one of a series at the Rockies. And wouldn't you know it, on Thursday night, we had the Nats with a win in game one of a series against the Rockies at Nationals Park. Uh, Mark, it's not been a good season for the Nats. We all know that. But the last two games actually have been quite good. We have some positive things to chew on here. So wait, what did you call that again? They won two games in a row. What's that called? That's called, I believe, a winning streak, as we learned in Bull Durham many years ago. I love winning, man. I love winning. You hear what I'm saying? Ah, yes. It, it rings a faint bell in my head. I think I've seen one of those before 
at some point in the past, the long distance past. Hey, how about that? You know, <laughs> and while this wasn't maybe the cleanest game they've ever played, there were some issues in the field. But Patrick Corbin did his job. And for once, his teammates supplied him the offensive support they needed. And then we'll get to this. I liked the bullpen usage late in the game. I know they tacked on some runs, didn't maybe matter as much because they extended the lead. But the way things were shaping up, I liked the way that Davey Martinez managed the late innings. And I thought that was going to be the story of the game. Wound up maybe not being quite as significant, but I want to get to that here at some point. Yeah, we certainly will. Tanner Rainey utilized in the eighth inning on Thursday night, not in the ninth inning. And it was a job well done, I thought, by Davey Martinez. Job well done by the Nats in the first inning. So the offense on Thursday night, no home runs because the Nats aren't allowed to hit homers this season. But the Nats did have four extra base hits in the game, a triple and three doubles to go with five singles. Nats also worked five walks, went four of 10 with runners in scoring position. But The Nats on Thursday night did do something that they've actually done a nice job of so far this season, and that is score in the first inning. The Nats scored four runs in the bottom of the first inning. The Nats this season now have totaled 180 runs. That's not a high run total, but still, 180 runs. 35 of the 180 runs have been first inning runs. More than 19% of the Nats' runs this season have been first inning runs. It's been an odd thing with this team. And, you know, we've talked about how the Nats so many times this season have scored early in games and then not done much offensively for the rest of games. Kind of felt like we were going to have that as this game went on, but the Nats did tack on some runs in the later innings. But that really is a peculiar thing. The Nats have been really good this year. They're among the league leaders in terms of the major leagues in first inning runs this season. And we saw four more on Thursday night. Yeah, I don't necessarily know why that's the case. I mean, there are a lot of times you say if you want to get to a pitcher, get him in the first inning. That's your best shot at it. They have been good at it and actually like sustaining some rallies because of it. They also then seem to have a tendency to then not do much else <laughs> the rest of the way. And that kind of happened here. There was a path this game could have taken. They weren't that far off from it happening where they're all over Herman Marquez in the first inning. And then he shuts him out the rest of the way. And you're like, what just happened here? Fortunately, it didn't come to that in the end. But I liked the at-bats in that first inning. And they had success against Marquez in that previous series at Coors Field. And if you look back on it, they scored seven runs in his last three innings of that start. So combined with the four runs in the first inning here, you've got 11 runs off this guy in a span of four innings against him. So they had something on him that they were comfortable with and put together a string of good quality at-bats. And maybe it didn't last all night, but it didn't need to because finally they got the pitching performance that, you know, backed up the early offense. Yeah, the game, early on anyway, had a Coors Field-like feel. I mean, you had four Nats runs, bottom of the first. Rockies then scored a run, top of the second. Two more runs, top of the third. Nats responded with a run in the bottom of the fourth. You know, you didn't have many, you had uh, no homers in this game, but you did have a bunch of extra base hits. So a little bit of a Coors Field feel to this game with the Nats facing the Rockies. In terms of the big blows in that four-run Nats first, you had Yadiel Hernandez coming through with a big two-run double. That was the biggest hit of the inning. Uh, Yadiel went out two-run double to the right center field gap to put the Nats up 4 nothing. I mentioned, though, Josh Bell, finally we can stop talking about this extra base hit drought that he had had. Again, he had not had an extra base hit since May 7th. Thursday was May 26th. I mean, he went 19 days between extra base hits, but Bell did come through in that uh, four-run first inning for the Nats. Uh, he delivered a first pitch RBI double off the center field wall for a 2-0 Nats lead. 
So that wasn't just, you know, some puny double. That was a big boy double. That was a man's double that Josh Bell delivered in that first inning. Yeah, he had a good night overall at the plate. He lines out hard to left field, his next at bat. He hits a sack fly to deep center in the seventh inning. And he talked about, he knew what had been going on. He, he knew that he was in this bit of a rut here for a while. He was working early in the afternoon in the batting cage with Darnell Coles and specifically on keeping his legs back. Essentially, they feel like the last couple of weeks he's been out in front of every pitch and his weight being on his front foot instead of on his back foot. And, you're, you know, that's where you get your power from, from your, you know, your trailing arm and your back leg. And it's something that just sort of gradually maybe happened over the span of a week or two. And it takes a little while to sort of realize that and figure it out. Well, they worked on it and we started to see some benefits of it, at least in this game. You hope that that's a sign of more of this to come, because as we've been talking about, you really want to limit the amount of time that he's in a slump. Um, we saw last year when he can go cold, he goes cold for a long time. If you can avoid that and get him right back to where he was, you've got the makings of a really good season for him. So good signs in this one, I think, not just on the double, but throughout the night. Yeah, so good job by Josh Bell. The other run scoring hit for the Nats in that four run first, another single for Nelson Cruz, another RBI single for Nelson Cruz. Uh, he came through with a one out RBI single through the left side of the infield for a one nothing Nats lead. He also drew a walk to load the bases in what ended up being a one run Nat seventh. I mean, it was interesting this game. Nobody really had like a monster game, but you got contributions from a lot of different guys. Uh, the Nats numbers one, eight, and nine batters were productive to varying degrees. Cesar Hernandez, two for four with an RBI double, a single, uh, and a walk. D Strange Gordon, kind of quietly here, has put together some good offensive games over the last uh, few games for him. He on Thursday night went two for four with a triple and a single. Uh, D Strange Gordon in an Nats one run fourth, a leadoff opposite field single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. And then he had in the Nats one run eighth, a one out triple to the right center field gap. Man, he can run. I mean, he weighs about 60 pounds, okay? So the wind maybe carries him when he runs, but he can motor. And when he puts the ball in play, it's exciting. We certainly saw that on that triple. He made it into third base fairly easily on that triple. And I think if you're talking about him and Alcides Escobar right now, it's become more or less a timeshare. I think D-Strange Gordon is earning more playing time. Not that this is some huge battle, him and Alcides for shortstop, but I like what we're seeing from D-Strange Gordon. It's four of the last six games he started at shortstop. So that's actually a majority, at least in a short sample size here. Uh, offensively, yes, there's been good stuff. Defensively, he was pretty shaky out there, I thought, in the field. They turned some double plays. They had three of them in the game. That was good. But there were several other plays that he could have made. You can see why he's really not thought of as an everyday shortstop in the big leagues at this point. Not that Escobar has been great there either. So at some point, you take the offense and just live with the defense, I guess. But you talked at the opening of the show about ending streaks. Well, we had one here. First extra base hit for D. Strange Gordon, and he no longer has the identical slash line batting average on base percentage, slugging percentage. He didn't have any walks. He didn't have any extra base hits. Finally, one of those numbers is different from the others. Nice to see that. Yeah. I feel like with him, there is an energy. Now, he's not like some young player. He's a veteran. He's in his 30s. But I don't know. I guess it's that speed. He looks young. I mean, he doesn't look nearly what he is. Uh, so I don't know. It's just something different, I guess, at shortstop. But the triple was impressive. And um, he also had another hit in this game. And then Victor Robles, say what you want about Victor, but the guy can bunt. And he had another impressive bunt in this game on Thursday night. An RBI bunt single of Victor in that Nats 
one run eighth, a one out first pitch, RBI bunt single toward first base on a safety squeeze for a 7-3 Nats lead. It feels like we have seen a lot of these squeeze plays in recent weeks, and they seem to work more often than not. The Nats don't hit homers, but they can bunt. And Victor Robles on Thursday night, another impressive bunt for him. Yeah, he had another one that he uh, made an out on earlier in the game, getting a bunt down in the fourth inning, and they threw the lead runner out with Strange Gordon second base. But we'll ignore that one for now. We'll look at the squeeze. Listen, everybody in the ballpark knew he was going to bunt. Okay, the infield is in. You've got the speedy, strange Gordon at third. You know that Victor Robles, what he does in these situations. So to me, that's actually really impressive to pull it off when the whole ballpark knows that you're going to do it. Now, a good throw might have had strange Gordon at the plate. Let's acknowledge that. A good throw from CJ Crone that kind of got away from the catcher. The throw beat him. But you put pressure on the defense. You force them to make a play. And it's not as easy as it sounds sometimes to do that. So if you're Victor Robles and you're just trying to find some way to contribute, this is one way that he can offensively when he's not swinging the bat well, and they will take it as long as he does it in the right spots and as long as his success percentage is high enough. And I would say that it, for the most part, it has been. Yeah. I mean, at some point he needs to do something other than bunt well. Okay. Um, and his playing time has gone down here lately. Now I know he dealt with a cramp in his calf, so that's part of it, but we also have been seeing more of Lane Thomas and less, it feels like a Victor Robles over the last say week or so. Speaking of bunting, by the way, uh, K-Bert Ruiz in that Nats one run seventh was credited with a sacrifice bunt. Was that in fact a sacrifice or was he trying to bunt for a hit? Sure looked to me like he's trying to bunt for a hit. When you put it down the line and run hard out of the box, that says to me you're going for the hit. And I, I will say, in my experience, official scorers always seem to give the benefit of the doubt on those and just give them the sacrifice. I personally feel like if you're going to award somebody with the sacrifice, it better be clear they are sacrificing themselves and not trying to bunt for a hit. And I thought in that case, he clearly was bunting for the hit. That's what I thought, too, because otherwise it was going to be like, OK, you have him batting second, but you have him sacrifice bunting. But I think it makes more sense if he was trying to bunt for a hit. Although I still would say, why are you bunting for a hit? You're Kate <laughs> Ruiz. You're capable of hitting. He did have a single in the four run first. So, hey, he stole a base the other night. He's bunting. He's embracing the traditional two hitter role now that he's up there. So he's early career Craig Biggio. When Biggio was a catcher, would hit at the top of the lineup. That's what Kbert's trying to do right now. Well, if Kbert ends up playing second base in the outfield, then uh, I'll go ahead and forgive this here on uh, on Thursday night. So basically up and down the lineup, you had people getting involved in the Nats offense in this game, although going hitless in the game was Juan Soto. I mean, we are waiting. We are begging here for a big Juan Soto game to talk about. And it feels like every game now we're talking about the same thing, another underwhelming game for Juan Soto. Uh, he on Thursday night went 0 for 3 with a walk. So like I said, hitless. And he had another tough moment in right field. You know, he's not just slumping at the plate. It feels like he's slumping defensively as well. So Patrick Corbin allowed the Rockies to score two runs in the third inning, gave up a one out first pitch RBI triple to Charlie Blackman to right field to cut the Nats lead to 4-2. And Soto on the play like whiffed in a backhanded attempt to get the ball as it rolled near the right field corner. Now, maybe Blackman would have had a triple anyway. I'm not sure. Maybe being there live, maybe you saw it in a certain way. Corbin fires and a swing and a drive. Hook down the right field line. This could be trouble. It's in there. Rolling toward the warning track. Soto can't pick it up. The ball off the fence. So Daz is going to round third and he's going to score. And racing for third and in there standing with a triple is Charlie Blackman. 
Soto could not cut it off on the warning track, and the Rockies just kept on running. But I don't know. That just It was sloppy. It was another one of these things where, like, that's not Juan Soto. He's better than that. He lets a ball roll right under his glove like that. But we saw that happen, and he had a hard time retrieving the baseball off it being hit by Blackman. Yeah, we talked about the official scoring. I thought that was one that deserved to be a double and an error on him, and it was not called that. I didn't think that uh, Blackman was going no matter what. didn't seem to me like that was going to be the case. There were some curious calls in this one. There have been some curious calls here lately. But bigger picture, whether it's an error or not, you are right. Juan Soto has been very shaky in the field. He's been shaky on the bases. And obviously at the plate, he is still struggling. I was on the verge. I was getting ready to tweet this out if it happened. But Nelson Cruz, I needed him to get one more hit. If Cruz had gotten one more hit, he actually would have had a higher batting average than Juan Soto for the season. Soto was down to 232. Okay. He did draw a walk. He did hit a line drive to left field. That was, you know, a good sign. But in the bigger picture here right now, he is one of their least productive hitters at the moment. Doesn't mean that's how it's going to stay. But for right now, he does not look comfortable up there. And this is, hasn't been just been going on for a week. This has been going on for a little while now, and you can see it. And I think you see it in his body language as well, not just at the plate, but in the field, on the bases, everywhere. We're not seeing that swagger. We're not seeing that joy that Juan Soto usually brings to the ballpark. And I don't know the reason for it, but it has been noticeable. He does not look like himself and hasn't for a little while now. So if the Nationals manager with the first name of Davey was Johnson, not Martinez, we might see a mental break for Juan Soto and him get a day off. Do you think there's any merit to saying, hey, I mean, Soto plays every day. He basically plays every inning of every game. Do you think a game off would do him some good or do you think that that's not really going to help anything? So it's funny, just the other day in one of those blowout games, remember he came out in like the seventh inning and afterwards Davey said, yeah, that's basically his day off. So I think that answers your question right there. I don't think we're going to see it. The only question would be, well, we'll we'll see about the forecast because Friday doesn't look so good. And if they have to play two on Saturday, would you then say, okay, he gets one of the two games off Saturday? Or would you say, well, hey, if Friday's a rain out, there's your day off. I don't know. There's certainly reason to think that it might be worth it to do it at some point. And we've seen Leon Lane Thomas have some success. Yadiel Hernandez has had some success. You could go for one game with Hernandez Robles and Thomas in the outfield and see what happens. I don't think we're there based on the way Davey talks. I'm guessing that there's not a day off planned for Soto. Whatever the case, they need to figure this thing out and they need to get him back on track here soon because this is probably the most prolonged period of this that we've seen. And again, it's not just the lack of outcomes. It's how he looks. Even if you didn't know the numbers and just watching him play, you can tell he just doesn't look like his usual self right now. Yeah, and last season when he quote-unquote slumped, it didn't carry over to the base paths into the field like it's carried over this year. I mean, especially in right field. You know, he's not a bad right fielder. When he's on, he's actually a pretty good defensive outfielder, and he has not been very good defensively so far this season. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons. 
just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflicts. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call them today at 202 486 3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No, I felt good. I mean, I uh, pitched pretty well against these guys in Colorado. Um, they were really aggressive then, and they were pretty aggressive again tonight. So just trying to make quality pitches um, felt really good. Got ahead of them through through um, a bunch of sliders today that were good. So pleased with everything. We mentioned it. Patrick Corbin got himself a curly W on Thursday night. He finally has a win in a game this season. Uh, you know, look, Corbin on Thursday night was decent. I mean. We now have adjusted the standard for Patrick Corbin. And, you know, I was thinking about this during the game. If he doesn't give up seven runs in two innings, we call it a win these days for Patrick Corbin. We're like, hey, you know what? He did this. So that's pretty good. And Corbin on Thursday night, three runs in six into third innings. He gave up seven hits, a triple, two doubles, and four singles. Issued two walks and a wild pitch. He only had three strikeouts. Uh, You know, he threw 80 pitches. Did you think there was a justification for him pitching deeper into the game? He did pitch into the seventh inning. Yeah, so here's my stance on that. He did get quick outs, and that was probably the best thing he did because he was throwing strikes, he was keeping it down in the zone, getting ground balls. That was the best stuff that he had going for himself in this game. However, you get to the seventh, and now you've got the top of the lineup coming up again for the fourth time. And at that moment, it's a close game. I think it's 5-3. It had been 4-3 for a while, and it gets to 5-3. And... Yes, based on pitch count. Like, I think he had the stamina to keep going. But David Martinez didn't say this specifically, but I kind of felt that this is what he's thinking in his mind. We've got this guy in the precipice of his first win of the season, finally. 
I do not want to leave him out there to get up the game tying home run and ruin that. If we're going to blow this, let's put it on the bullpen shoulders and not on Patrick's shoulders. At least let him come out of the game feeling good about himself. I have no idea if that's actually what was going through his mind, but I would not be surprised if that was what was going through his mind. And to be honest, I can't fault him for that. I can't fault Davey for having that mindset. We can talk about pitcher wins don't matter at all. You know what? When you're 0-7 with an ERA in the sixes and you're making $140 million, I think it did matter for him to get the win and just be able to say, you got that monkey off our off my back. So I was okay with the philosophy there, more so because I think facing the lineup the fourth time, you are running the risk of maybe something, because it's not like he was super sharp this game. He was getting quick outs, but it's not like he was dominating. No, he put a lot of guys on base for sure. So I, it's fine. I was just curious about that because you know, you watch a game and you're not necessarily cognizant of the pitch count. And then I looked at it. I was like, wow, he only threw 80 pitches. That's a really low number for six into third innings, especially these days. I mean, this season, we're used to Nats pitchers throwing 80 pitches over four innings. Like we've seen things like that routinely. So it was actually pitch efficient in a weird way with Corbin on Thursday night. You know, he had been quite bad in each of his previous two outings. 8 nothing loss to Houston at Nationals Park on May 15th. Five runs, six innings. 5-1 loss at Milwaukee last Saturday night, five runs in five innings. So, you know, had he gotten shellacked in this game, you'd have been looking at three straight, essentially blow-up starts for Corbin. Even by his standards, that's pretty bad. You didn't get that on uh, on Thursday night. So it's good to see that. Some success for Corbin against these Rockies uh, so far this season. Yeah, I was just going to say, so now his two longest starts of the year, in which he got an out, at least an out in the seventh inning, both against the Rockies. So that's a good thing. And he got his first win of the year. And who was his battery mate? was Cabert Ruiz, not Riley Adams. So proof that the personal catcher was not needed, at least in this case. Yeah. And, and as I, I think I mentioned this the last time we talked about that, it's not like every game that Adams has caught Corbin has been a great Corbin outing. Some of the bad has had happened with uh, Adams at catcher. So there's only so much the battery mate can do. The battery sometimes runs out of juice, as we know. <laughs> uh, so let's get to the bullpen here. Three Nats relievers combined for two and two-thirds scoreless innings on Thursday night. Uh, Victor Arano was the first guy out of the pen. He came into the game in the top of the seventh with one out, a runner on first, and the Nats leading 5-3. Gave up a single, but then induced a 6-4-3 double play for the second and third outs. I'll say this, the Nats have turned a lot of double plays this season. Some of that is because their pitchers put a lot of guys on base, okay? So a lot of opportunity to turn double plays, but credit the Nats, they do turn a good number of double plays. And then we had what we had in the eighth inning. So, I'm assuming Kyle Finnegan was unavailable for this game. He had pitched in the last two games. You had the meat of the Rockies lineup coming up, batters three, four, and five. And so Davey Martinez went to his quote-unquote closer, Tanner Rainey, to pitch in the top of the eighth inning. And Rainey, to his credit, delivered a perfect top of the eighth, struck out Ryan McMahon on five pitches for the third out. We've talked about wanting to see something like this. We saw it. Uh, Tanner Rainey held up his end of the bargain. This worked out quite well. Yeah, and it's funny. Going into the game, I was even thinking to myself, Finnegan's pitched the last two. That means he's probably out for this one. Now, remember, he pitched on Tuesday in a loss just because he needed the work because he hadn't pitched in a while. Davies talked about, well, I'm not going to use him there necessarily always because what if the save situation comes up the next day? Well, it came up the next day. Finnegan and Rainey both pitch on Wednesday, and now we get to Thursday. And wouldn't you believe, for the first time, I think all year, they actually had back-to-back situations where they would like their guys, and now one of them wasn't available. I don't fault him for 
getting into that position. I thought he handled Finnegan exactly right. But knowing that was going to be the case going into it, he had this mapped out from the start and he knew and he had told Tanner Rainey before the game, if this game is close, you're going to face the heart of their lineup, whatever inning that may be. So if it's the ninth, it'll be the ninth. But if it's set up for the eighth or even the seventh, we're going to use you in that spot and we'll use somebody else later on. So that was mapped out. That was planned. I really like that. I think it's something they should do more of. And Dave even suggested it may be something they do more often, that there may be times uh, when he likes the matchup with Rainey and the guys batting in the eighth, and then he'll say Finnegan for the ninth. Now, in this case, it was Steve Ciszek to pitch the ninth. Now, they expanded the lead as a four-run lead, so not officially a save situation, so it didn't quite have the same intensity otherwise that it would. But Ciszek gets through the ninth and closes it out. And then Victor Arano who we haven't talked a lot about other than how much he gets used. He's been pretty effective, and that was kind of a big spot replacing Corbin. Uh, He ends up with two on and one out, and he gets one of those three double plays you were talking about. So I like the way that they use those guys in this game, and I would not be surprised if we see more of this moving forward, and I think that's pretty forward-thinking of Davey or whoever else is advising Davey on these things. Uh, I like to see that. Yeah, I think it's the way... Managers should handle bullpens. I I like to use the phrase ace reliever, not closer, because I don't think you have to have the person close out the game, right? You can deploy the ace reliever in whichever high leverage spot you deem appropriate in the uh, second halves of games. I mean, I think it's always important to remember with Davey, he was Joe Madden's right hand man for years. And that's a Joe Madden kind of thing to do, right? Especially going back to Madden's time with the Rays. So it was cool to see that. Now, did you think there was any shot that Rainey would pitch the ninth or at least pitch into the ninth? I remember we used to see Sean Doolittle get four or five out saves. This would have had to have been a six out save. But do you think Davey at all considered having Rainey go beyond just the one inning? I would say probably not because he pitched the day before. If he was totally fresh, I think it's a different story. But then also because the lead was a little more significant. If it's a one-run game, two-run game, and he has a quick uh, eighth inning, maybe you do that in that case. And I feel like that's what he used to do with Doolittle. But what this team has, surprisingly, that the 2019 team and other teams did not have, was actual bullpen depth. And I know Steve Ciszek isn't you know, an elite late-inning reliever, but he's done it before. He's got you know a couple years as a closer, I think, with the Marlins in the past. And against the bottom half of the lineup, uh, they felt like that was a good matchup for him. So I don't think Davey made that move and was nervous thinking like, oh, God, Rainey's the only one I trust. I think he trusted C-Sheck in that spot. I think he would trust Finnegan in that spot if it comes up again. In this case, I don't think it made sense. And I do wonder, after seeing everything that happened to Doolittle in 2019, I do wonder from the back of his mind, Davey's like, I really don't want to start doing that with guys who I believe are going to be important for us, not just this year, but beyond. Because look at the you know residual effect of all that on Sean Doolittle's career. You know, you mentioned Victor Arano. So you have to look at the advanced stats because the traditional stats aren't necessarily great. But a lot of the stat cast stuff for Arano actually is pretty good. And going into Thursday, if you look at the Nats leaders in war per fan graphs in terms of pitchers, so Eric Fetty, number one, 0.6. Arano, number two, at 0.5. I think that that would surprise some people, that Victor Arano is number two on the Nats in pitcher war per fan graphs coming into games here on Thursday. Now, you know, with this Nats staff, it's Tanner Rainey number three. Like, it's not starters, with the exception of Fetty, who are high up on that leaderboard. Patrick Corbin is tied for fourth, okay? So, like, it's all relative here, but I think that's interesting that Arano is number two on the Nats in pitcher war per fan graphs coming into this game. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It's graduation season, and so that means it is Window Nation's graduation sale. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class with 0% financing for five full years, 60 months, and get two free windows with every two that you buy. Window Nation windows are the best. They are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available. Vinyl, wood, fiberglass. Price quotes are valid for six months. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask Window Nation for the graduation sale that you heard about from Al Galdi. That's 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and get the special offer. Mention my name, Al Galdi, when you talk to Window Nation. The results he got from the MRI uh, obviously was not good and um, we just want to ease his mind a little bit of that what's going to happen what's going to transpire and he wants some other opinions so which is at this point it's good so um, as soon as we get you know get some other opinions from the doctors he wants to go see then we'll make a decision what's going to happen so we did have some bad pitching news for the Nats on Thursday this isn't official but it sure looks like Joe Ross is going to need a second Tommy John surgery huh that's reading between the lines what it sounds like, the way he was talking about it, the way Davey Martinez is talking about it. Joe described it as the MRI that he received the other day showed what he called a, a more significant sprain of the elbow ligament than the one from last year when he had it examined. He's going to get another test. I believe we're talking about like an enhanced MRI where they put the dye in there to really look at the ligament and determine for sure if uh, it's torn enough to need the surgery. But the way they were talking, it it sounds like, you know, they're going to get all the opinions they can get and, and make a final decision fairly soon. But there aren't a whole lot of options left. This could have happened a year ago, last summer. And they decided, let's give this a try. Let's see if he can rehab it with rest and everything else and go to spring training. The The odd part of it is, I think we all felt like he may show up at spring training, start to throw off a mound, turns out the elbow is hurt and he's going to have to have the surgery and miss the year. And instead, he shows up spring training, he has elbow pain, ends up, turns out he has a, a bone spur that's removed, comes back from that, goes through the full rehab, feels good. And he even said the first two innings the other night in Harrisburg, he said he felt great. He was throwing 95, no issues. He goes to warm up in the third inning. And that's when he started to feel it tighten up. He thought, well, maybe it just takes a little while to get loose here again. And no, over the course of the inning, he realized, no, this isn't going away. And so when the inning was over, even though he'd only thrown 31 total pitches, he told the coaching staff and they kind of collectively decided this isn't worth it. Let's not push this any further. Uh, let's get this thing checked out. And you feel for Joe. He's been through a lot in the last couple of years. He's been through a lot in his career. If it is a second Tommy John surgery, that's a tough thing to come back from. Not that he can't. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. For a lot of reasons, he really wanted to come back and pitch this year and be effective. Uh, and at least at the moment, it's not trending in that right direction. Nothing official yet, but I would imagine in a few days we'll get the final word. 
Yeah, you know, it's easy to hindsight these things. And I know that you do want to avoid the second Tommy John, right? But I remember we talked about this last year where he could have gotten the Tommy John then, didn't. And the thinking was, well, he can come back, pitch in spring training. And if he ends up needing the Tommy John, it's actually not that big of a deal from a timeline standpoint. What you never really thought of, and I wonder if the Nats consider this or not, is, well, what if another ailment pops up as ended up happening? Because what is going to end up being the case here, assuming he needs this Tommy John, is you've wasted a lot of time. You know, that like he's now essentially going to have missed all of this season and then may end up missing a good chunk, if not all of next season. Now, he may not be on the Nats. He may be out of baseball for next year. But this ended up playing out, assuming he needs this Tommy John in almost like a worst case way because another ailment popped up. He needed surgery for that, albeit arthroscopic surgery, and it cost him time. So it's like, this is a double whammy. I mean, it's bad that he needs a second Tommy John to begin with, but boy, if you wanted to script this out in like the nightmarish way, it's kind of how this ended up playing out for him. Yeah, especially because we're so far along in the rehab process where he's in games and in theory, maybe like three weeks away from coming back and pitching for them. Now, I mean, to go back to the timeline there, if they had elected for the surgery last summer, and I think it was the end of July when this all happened, maybe even into August, he misses at least a year. And so you're saying, well, maybe he comes back and can pitch, you know, late August, early September, maybe he gets a month, six weeks of the 2022 season. And the feeling was, is that worth it? Or do we go ahead and wait, try to avoid the surgery and see if we can get him into the 2022 season? And like we said, chances are they figured we'll know by the end of spring training, does he need it or not? And if so, he misses that year. So we're really just talking about like a month or six weeks that he would lose by waiting to make the decision. What they weren't counting on, like you said, was that delay because of a separate ailment. And now that pushed it back. So now if he does have the surgery, it's usually at least 12 months. You're talking next June before he's ready to pitch again. What is his contract status at that point? What kind of offers is he going to get as a free agent? So you do feel for him. You hope that there are going to be more opportunities for him, but it's a long road ahead. And like we said the other day, too, unfortunately, he and his family have experienced this because his brother Tyson had a bunch of injuries and a career that never panned out the way they hoped it would. And he's not a guy who's done well as a reliever, right? It, his success has been as a starter. And so if you say to yourself, well, he can come back as a bullpen piece, well, maybe, but that has not been his strength. And at this point, with all these injuries, his body is such where you have to say he's maybe not built to be a starting pitcher. So you know, for his sake and for the sake of his career, he probably needs to get comfortable with pitching out of the bullpen because who's going to trust him as a starting pitcher moving forward here? And even if you trust him, what are the odds he stays healthy as a starting pitcher moving forward here? Yeah, but if you remember, they tried it in 2019 and it was a disaster as a reliever. He was getting, I mean, he was getting jerked around a lot. It went from Fresno to DC. He would start a couple games and he'd go to the bullpen. It, it, it was a bad situation, but it did not work out at all out of the bullpen for him. And if that's what you have to do to try to salvage your career, that's what you do. But the past results in that role have not been good for him. Yeah, no, not at all. By the way, Fresno. One day we <laughs> ought to do an hour on that, how their AAA affiliate wound up in Fresno. Hey, they won the World Series that way. I know. I know they did. It's incredible. <laughs> well, you can always email the podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We get so many great emails. We read all of them, by the way. I know we don't always read them on the show, but we read all of them. We appreciate all of them. I will learn things from them. I mean, really smart, well-researched, well-thought-out emails. 
And then we get an email like this one. This comes to us from Rick Skolberg. He writes, Hey, Al, really enjoy your podcast with Mark. You guys are real fun to listen to and so easily play off each other. What a season, huh? I'm a local and have followed them from day one when they played their first game at RFK. My dad took me to my first game at RFK against the Red Sox, Yaz versus Frank Howard. My routine lately, I'm battling cancer and literally listen to you guys every morning as I grind through chemo. Today, I'm on round five and listening to you now and Fetty's outing last night. My goal is to make it to a game soon. Keep up the great work. Would love to meet you someday, Rick. Uh, that was a very nice email, Rick. Uh, man, we wish you nothing but the best, and we thank you so much for that and appreciate that so much. But how about that, man? People listen to us and you know a lot of podcasts in all kinds of ways, but uh, more power to you, Rick, and uh, all the best to you in your battle with cancer. Yeah, we really appreciate this. Look, we know that a lot of people from all over the world listen to us in all kinds of different situations. And it's always gratifying to hear about the different scenarios that people uh, listen to us and, and what we provide for them. You know, we don't do this ever assuming anything or uh, intending to be that kind of source for someone. But it is uh, so heartwarming to hear that we can play a small role in helping somebody get through a very difficult time like Rick is. Rick, stay strong. Uh, we are hoping for the best for you. And uh, when you do come out to the ballpark, let us know. We will definitely track you down and uh, get a picture with you. Absolutely. And speaking of coming out to the ballpark and getting a picture with you, so we always let you know you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt at natschatpodcast.square.site. And if you do that, take a photo of yourself, uh, send it to us, we'll tweet it out. Well, Tim Shovers was at Nats Rockies on Thursday night, and who does he meet there? Eric from the Dominican Republic, who has written to us and uh, spoken to us via voice memo so many times uh, over the life of this podcast. And Eric was wearing himself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt with a Nats jersey. I'm not sure whose jersey uh, he was wearing, but we appreciate that. It was great to see Eric. And I've heard that when he goes through customs to get into the Dominican Republic, they let him go right through. He's got his Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. That's automatic. That, that, that's better than the uh, TSA pre-check or the clear pass like that. That gets you through everything. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a total green light. So great to see Eric. Great to put a face with the voice and a face with the name. So uh, very cool to have that. And uh, yeah, always uh, let us know when you're at Nationals Park and uh, we can uh, give you some shine and uh, put out your photo. And uh, we uh, we thank everyone so much for listening and for supporting the podcast. So like I said, you can always uh, email the podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us as well, at Nats underscore chat. Uh, all Nationals radio highlights on Nats chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. So for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we have something right now very special for you. So one of the best guys out there when it comes to talking about prospects in baseball is Jim Callis. Uh, he has been one of the premier authorities on prospects in baseball for years. He's a senior writer for MLB Pipeline. Jim was good enough to give us some time here lately, spoke with Tim Shovers. And right now, we take you to Jim Callis talking about two of the Nats' top pitching prospects and where we are with them, Cade Cavalli and Cole Henry. Enjoy. There's no question that Kate Cavalli and Cole Henry are the top two pitching prospects in the national system. Cavalli got to AAA and led the Myers in strikeouts last year's first full season in pro ball. 
He projects as a possible frontline starter with his overwhelming stuff. And Henry's more of a, a solid number three, potentially. He's got a nice combination of stuff, not as loud as Cavalli's, but a lot of polish. But there are questions about both guys, which have arisen again this year. Cavalli really struggled in AAA at the end of last season, and he's continuing to do so this year. Stuff's still good. He's still sitting around 95, 96 miles an hour with the fastball. Got power-breaking stuff, but the fastball's getting hit. And it really comes down, and it's always was going to with Cade, to control and command with him. If he doesn't look at his pitches well, he gets hit. And when he does, he's pretty unhittable. So he just needs more consistency. I mean, he's still young in his career. So I, I think he could figure it out. And, you know, Henry has had more consistent success, but he's also had a consistent history of elbow issues. And I don't know his, his current ailment, but he hasn't pitched in two weeks. And I think a lot of what's going to come down with Cole Henry is health. You know, if Cavalli can improve his command, if Cole Henry can stay healthy, then they could be a big part of the Nationals rotation in the next few years. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.